Before we begin our news show, I'd like to acknowledge that we are meeting and working on Ngunnawal and Ngambri lands that were stolen and that sovereignty was never ceded. I pay my respects to any First Nations people here and listening. We are striving to put First Nations voices at the centre of reporting and to prioritise their agency in any stories about their experiences. Welcome to Warani News. ANU's oldest news team brings you our best news stories of the past week and brings you up to date on what's happening on campus and discusses issues around the ANU. I am Rosie. I'm one of the senior news reporters. I'm filling in for Alex today. Um, and I am here today with... Uh, I'm Sam, a senior writer this year. Perfect. Alrighty. So we're going to get started with one of Sam's articles. Um very comedically entitled shit hits the fan infrastructure problems at ANU residential halls. Um, and my first question for Sam is what inspired you to write the article? Yeah, so I actually live at Yukonbrook this year. So the newest residence, which has had its share of infrastructure problems, which kind of just having a chat about that kind of kind of sparked the idea for the article. So obviously we've had issues with fire alarms, especially fire alarms, uh, getting locked out of doors, lots of things like this. But basically it was the thinking about the issues we'd had as a new hall, um, looking at how other halls are experiencing infrastructure issues as well. So that, that was really the beginning of it all. Yeah, and I feel like some of the best articles actually come out of like the pitch meeting we have every week where we're like, yeah, I live in a residential hall and like this thing is broken. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, or kind of those similar, like, actual personal anecdotes. Um, so my next question is, what was it like interviewing students for this article? Because obviously a lot of it relied on student experiences. Yeah, so the process of interviewing students for this was somewhat difficult because obviously it's relating to getting students to talk about problems with their hall. And especially for students who were SRs or who had scholarships at their halls, they were a bit hesitant to talk about things feeling like that may risk their scholarship and things like that. So that's why um, every student in this article is anonymous in what they talked about. But once we put anonymity on it, we actually got people really willing to talk about it and willing to go, yeah, there are actually a lot of problems that generally the vibe of it was most ANU residents are pretty good at going, okay, I can, I can put up with a couple problems here and there. I can deal with this. But it was starting to feel like these things are kind of building and lots of things seem to be happening. And that's where people started having a bit of a problem. But it was pretty cool to see that like the sentiment at my hall is similar to a lot of others where people go, I can deal with it, but it's time to start getting things fixed a bit quicker. Yeah, and I think um, something that this article kind of like showed was sometimes it's not just people like complaining about small things. Like sometimes it is. <laughs> there yeah, is sometimes massive. it's massive massive issues um and I think those are the kind of the ones that end up getting raised with us and that's where we have kind of a more unique platform of um collating I guess experiences from multiple halls and like presenting it in a different light right like this isn't just an issue with Bruce or with Fenner but um with the ANU as a whole um I guess yeah my next question leading on from that is what were the main takeaways of the article or kind of the yeah main messages that came through the main kind of critical message, I think, was that the ANU seems to be um, quite slow in responding to really big issues. And then um, in terms of the response they gave us, a little bit dismissive of some of those issues in that, um, especially considering Burton and Garen, I think, was one of the most obvious halls with like some really serious issues Hmm. obviously heavy rain led to really big water damage and that was taking a really long time to be repaired i think one of the greatest quotes that i think 
uh, I got from one of the residents there told us that um, SRs have literally spent entire duty shifts walking around replacing buckets um, throughout the whole hall just to stop water from leaking places. And obviously, as we've written about in the article, that leads to a lot of health risks in terms of mould and things like that in halls with low circulation. That's a health risk to students that you'd think would be something that needs to be acted on straight away, but doesn't seem to have been, which that was probably the biggest takeaway, the, the pace. Yeah, definitely. And I think... Um it is definitely one of those articles where we're kind of talking about and I guess fulfilling the like role we would have as student media of like holding the university accountable to something that actually is, definitely. you know, yeah, a big issue. Um, and something I think like leaning a voice to like individual SRs, right, who are like, this is a crazy problem, but like who am I going to tell about it? Exactly. And that was especially a couple of the students I talked to were SRs and SRs especially were like, there are these problems, I need to talk about it, but... I feel like if I talk about it and make a big issue of it, I'll lose my position next year, right? So that was their worry that the scholarship would go, which is like a really tough position to be put in that you feel like your scholarship, like what you rely on for your residence will be taken away from you if you talk about a problem with that residence. Yeah, definitely. And I think it just kind of shows the benefit um, that we can have in providing like anonymity or like other ways for people to let definitely. us know what's going on, which if you're ever um, contacted about a Rony article, that's definitely something we do quite a lot. Um, and yeah, it really helps us to write impactful pieces like this one that kind of detail what is going on, even if it's for people in those, um, kind of official roles, like being an SR. Yeah, definitely. That, that's the big message. You want to tell us about something, don't be afraid. It'll be secret if you need that to be secret. Definitely. Well, thank you, Sam. Um, next I'm going to be a bit self-indulgent mainly because <laughs> Alex is not here today. Um, so I'll be interviewing myself about my own piece. Essentially, I'll just be giving a summary, um, so in the last, I think it was a week or two, I wrote a piece about the ANU officially coming out and supporting the voice to parliament, um, which is, you know, not unprecedented. There's a couple of other universities who have also declared their support for the voice. UNSW, I think, was the one we referenced in our article. Um, and, yeah, so basically Brian Schmidt sent us one of the usual... Um, midweek blogs, shout out to Brian Schmidt's midweek blogs. Um, and yeah, it was saying, you know, not specifically the whole university, but I guess like the ANU council, which is not something we talk about a lot of students, but kind of the biggest decision-making body um, at the ANU in terms of like the executive. Um, so they took a formal voice to support enshrining an Indigenous voice to parliament in the constitution. And that means that the council will be supporting a yes vote in the upcoming referendum, um, which is set to take place at the end of this year. Um, but this statement that kind of came out from the council also had a lot of caveats, right? So it was acknowledging that there were differing views that exist within the university and also that, you know, universities and the ANU are a place for a respectful and informed debate. I think there was a lot of emphasis, though, on that, like, respectful and informed part um, of the statement. Uh, the other thing I found quite interesting about writing this article was I'm, I'm very interested as always, in the governance structure of the ANU. I don't know if many students share my interest, but it's quite convoluted. Um, and it's just interesting to figure out, like, who has decision-making power over what, I guess. Um, but to accompany the statement, um, Brian Schmidt attached a document entitled Responding to Common Concerns About an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice that was produced by the ANU's First Nations portfolio. And the resource itself is really great. It's linked in the article. I would recommend people go read it. 
Um, but it kind of like addresses in an academic way concerns people may have about the voice to parliament. So it talks about, you know, statistics about representation of First Nations people in parliament and like some of the constitutional law questions surrounding the establishing of the voice. So, you know, some of those like academic questions that people actually would like answered, um, which is like, I guess, an embodiment of like the stance that you use broadly when taking. Um, the First Nations portfolio, however, I'd never heard mentioned before. So I went and had a look. Um, and it's a branch of the university's executive, which is tasked with ensuring the ANU is a world leader in teaching and research on First Nations issues. So the ANU like specifically identifies this group as not a group that's designed to promote equity for First Nations people. They say that instead the university proposes that Indigenous equity and engagement is not the preserve of any one unit in the ANU but should be normal business throughout the university. And I found that quite interesting that like I think a lot of people would read like the words First Nation portfolio and be like, oh, obviously, like they're kind of got some power, yeah, yeah, filling this equity measure, um, or like trying to pr you know promote equality within the university. And it's obviously not the case. Um, and I, it made me think of like a lot of discussions that we had last year about the role of departments um, and how the ANU like doesn't really have like paid units that do the job of departments. So obviously, um, we have the BIPOC department at um, ANU that is run by students and comprised of students. Um, and, you know, you'd think the First Nations portfolio would kind of fill this paid position of, like, being, like, an anti-racism or an equity-promoting organisation. It just, like, isn't, right? Yeah. it's. I found that interesting that it felt like it was... Reading that, it almost sounds like... And I'm not exactly sure what their function entails, but it sounded like it was a group that was responsible for, you know, ensuring there's academic research into First Nations issues and things like this. But then when it came to having power over the actual decisions in terms of, you know, equity, in terms of responding to examples of racism and things like this, it felt like the university was kind of holding on to that prerogative themselves rather than entrusting it to First Nations people, which... Yeah, that's true, right? And I guess, I mean, equity is obviously um, encompasses action from Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. But yeah, it did feel like... There's not really an autonomous, like, paid department to deal with these issues. Um, and obviously, I mentioned the BIPOC department. We also have the Indigenous department on campus. But, like, both of those are student-run. And I feel like it was just another example of, like, yes, the ANU is great at, like, doing all the academic work. But they don't really have, like, paid positions that are dedicated to this, like, equity work specifically for people of colour, right? So I think that was an interesting thing I learned in this kind of investigation. I wouldn't have otherwise stumbled upon. Um and the final thing that I found quite interesting was the university was talking about the potential harm caused by relying on Indigenous staff and students to educate non-Indigenous people on the voice. So they had this statement, um, this sentence in the statement saying, please allow, also bear in mind, this might be a difficult time for Indigenous staff and students, and I urge non-Indigenous people not to lean on our Indigenous staff and students for information and support when there are other sources to help you inform yourself. And I actually think this was quite like a good move from the university. I think it's quite a nuanced take. Um, I, I feel like I give them no credit, but... <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I, I think it is positive in the... Um, you shouldn't be walking around campus asking Indigenous people for their opinions on the issue. And I think that's a really positive thing for them to say. And I, and I know that... But in terms of... And they're not saying they don't want Indigenous voices. Um, and in terms of actually promoting the Indigenous voices that want to speak about it in public, I know that Wironi is going to be doing a lot of work on that as we come closer to the debate. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. I think it was like a good balance. Um, obviously, I'm not best placed to discuss like 
um, the intricacies of it. But I think it was a good it was a good reminder also like as a non-Indigenous student of like keeping in mind that, you know, especially the classroom is not the place to be discussing these issues. Um, I think as a Pulsai student, sometimes people lean towards, I know it was the case I've heard from previous students from the same-sex marriage debate of like asking people who you think have those experiences yeah. to explain um, the policy issues to you. And it's like just kind of this burden that we shouldn't expect people to be shouldering. Um, so, yeah, I thought I'd just conclude my discussion of that one by talking about, um, I think that was an important bit of the statement to kind of elevate. Um, so, yes, that was uh, the ANU's take on the voice to parliament. We're now going to move into kind of a fun one. So every week we try and chat about something that's going on. And unfortunately, this is something we've been talking about a lot because it keeps going on quite a lot. <laughs> Um, but this is talking about the cost of living and the thing that specifically brought this to mind for me was the RBA hinting at further interest rate rises. So um, we had an excellent article by Shabani about what the RBA is and like what inflation is. If you want to go have a look at that one, it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, but basically the Reserve Bank can decide um, what the interest rate or the cash rate is, sorry, um, and when they raise it, it's, they say it's due to inflation, but it can make things like mortgages more expensive. Um, and in general, it just like it seems to be a reaction to the cost of living, right? Um, and the increase in the cost of living. So they decided not to raise um, the rate at the last meeting, which was kind of this like really new thing because they've been raising it um, <laughs> for 10 consecutive yeah, a lot. <laughs> months in a row because they meet once a month. Um, and now the minutes from that meeting have come out. Basically, like, all of this is economic stuff if you're interested, but the general consensus is they're going to go back to raising the rate, or they think they might. It's all very exciting. Um, but it kind of, I think for most people, and the kind of vibe I've been getting is, like, it just solidifies the fact that we're not really out of this cost of living crisis. Like, I think a lot of people were like, it's coming to the end. Like, they've been doing this for months and months and months now. Um, but it really doesn't seem to be going anywhere. We know that, you know, I know rental vacancy rent uh, rates and even like the rate of rent is skyrocketing. Um, so, yeah, I think we're just going to chat about kind of how cost of living looks to us. We're going to do a brief plug for an article by one of our reporters, Holly, who will be talking about this article hopefully next week. Um, but just as a bit of... I, I guess an intro, um, Holly goes through like what it actually costs to live on campus, right? Um, or even to live in Canberra in general, how much food actually costs, because I know people give you indicative rates, but like it's not really true. Um, how much transport costs, how much textbooks costs. I think um, her analysis of healthcare was also really interesting. Um, and that's another thing that's a big issue. So Canberra in particular has, you know, one of the, I think the highest rate in Australia, actually, yeah, the federal lecture of Canberra for non-bulk billing GPs. Yeah, it's really bad, yeah. Um, and we talked about that a bit in week six because if you didn't hear a Hobart place shut down, so there's less health options around campus. So, yeah, I think um, basically we just want to chat about, like, how we see cost of living in our daily life, right? So, like, Sam, how would you see the rising cost of living in your life? Yeah, well, I know that um, in terms of looking at the shared experience everybody has in terms of, uh, most students paying rent at a residential hall. The price has been going up like, year by year, right? And I know I go to Yukonbrook uh, and that's um, one of the more expensive uh, self-catered options. 
And it was in terms of like having choice of the amount you pay for rent. ANU has very little choice for the amount you pay for rent. A lot of students who wanted a self-catered option and were going for options like B&G, which is known for being about half, the, uh, not half, but I think a third less than York and Brook. Um, it's a big price difference. And when you're being put into a residential hall because they run out of space. I get that happens, but there also needs to be something looked into the fact that there's such a big disparity in price and many students just can't afford that without support from uh, the government or from their families. Not everybody has that. And so it's a shared experience that everybody has and it's a constant struggle at the moment to make sure you've got enough to pay rent, enough to cover food. I think one of the most interesting stats from uh, the article we were just talking about was looking at um, the average income people would have as a student and how much that would leave them to afford things. And they said, uh, basically, the article reads that most people in most halls except for uh, B&G would only have about $35 left after paying for rent. Um they wouldn't have enough left to cover their food and cover these kinds of things without support, without um, working a lot more than what the average income is, which I think was was quite a damning statistic. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I, I come at it from the other side and I used to live on campus and now I am thankfully off campus, although is it thankfully? Um, <laughs> I had the um, terrifying experience of having my landlord send like a land surveyor to my house, which usually means they're, meaning they're intending to sell the house, right? I'm unsure if that's what they're doing. They still don't let us know. But I was like, oh, God. Like, So I'm paying like 180 a week in rent at the moment, right, which is like kind of unheard of in Canberra. It's a lease I had a year ago. Um, But, yeah, I think like that terrifying experience of being like, will I be able to find a house at all? Like if I find a house, is it going to have the right number of like rooms for the people I'm trying to like I currently live with if we're trying to find a new house? Um, What's it going to (laughs) cost? Something I was thinking about a lot. Um, And, yeah, I definitely agree with the – the sentiment that, like, you kind of have to work more than you think, right? Like, I try and work two full days a week, but I've found that, like, that's just kind of not enough money. And then I was, like, trying to double that to four days a week, and then it's, like, when do I go to university? Um, And I've also found that, like, sometimes lectures – and the ANU's kind of stance has been, like, well, uni should come first, right? But it's, like, that's all well and good until, like, you can't afford to be at uni. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. so, yeah, I think it actually is, like, a massive issue. And I think the other thing that is interesting about this is, like, it isn't going away. Like, people <laughs> I'm no economist, um, thank God. But I think the general consensus was, like, it should have passed. And now it's becoming this sort of thing of, like, this is unprecedented and we haven't really seen this before. Um, if you go off, like, even what the public announcements have been... Um Philip Lowe, the governor of the Reserve Bank, and then Jim Chalmers, the treasurer, they've both been saying for months now, after eight rate rise, the look at the look at the um, silver lining of the clouds, we're coming out of it, um, it's getting better. And that kind of same message has been pushed, I think, for the last three or four rate rises. So it comes to the point of like, do they actually know that we're coming to the end? How long is this going to last? Nobody seems to really know. Yeah, and I think it's like, I don't know why I've thought of this, but it draws parallels to me with like climate anxiety, right? Where it's like, it it feels worse because like it's never ending, um, and it's kind of almost um, more like present in, in this moment to people. Yeah, and I think also if you just think about like how people would approach cost of living getting more expensive, right? It's like probably people would fall back on their savings, probably not students because that's another thing about students—you don't really have time to build savings because you just entered the workforce um, and not really at a full-time rate, right? Yeah, but. 
yeah, I think even if you were relying on those savings, like let's say you're a bit older, it's kind of getting to the point where you can't do that anymore. Like it's just become, unfortunately, like another f- part of life. I think people are very flippant when they refer to it now. Um, and it's kind of just accepted. So interesting thing to talk about. I think about it quite a lot. But <laughs> Yeah, no. It's but, yeah. on the mind at all times for, for people. And that, that's the challenging part, I guess, that it is like, oh, the cost of living crisis, it's there now. Like you kind of joke about the fact that you can't go out anymore with your mates. You can't um, do these certain things. You've got to work that time when people are asking you to come do things with them. And that's just something that's accepted now. It's not even something that um, is seen as almost a bad thing anymore. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. All right. So now to transition into our final segment, um, which I've allocated a bit more time to this week, so <laughs> hopefully we can fill it. But <laughs> it is what's happening on campus this week. And it is week seven. So what is happening is mid-semester exams. Um, and me forgetting that classes restarted. But the thing I did notice today is that Badger has a South American menu theme this week um, from, or maybe it's, ne- it's next week. They said 20-something on the sign, so it's next week. Um, but they were talking about $10 cocktails, so if anyone's interested by that, I just... Into it. Yeah. On to you, Sam. Yeah, that, um, that will be very interesting. <laughs> I'll be trying out that South American menu. Um, what have I heard about <clears throat> this week? Uh, I, I got told a couple days ago through, through my hall that we were coming up to the, to the IAC Cedar Sports competition and just a shameless plug, uh, <laughs> Books currently still topping the IAC table and Ooh. we were looking to keep it going with theater sports. But unfortunately it was canceled because B&G has yet another problem. They've now infested with hornets in their hall. Wow. Okay. That, I'm so happy I don't live on campus anymore. <laughs> you don't have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. That also just sounds terrifying. Scary. Where are they going to come next? <laughs> what is going to be wrong with BNG next? I think is the real question. <laughs> um, I still remember back when um, Anu was raising the tariff, like, uh, must have been in my second year, so probably like 2021. They're raising the tariff by like a ridiculous amount and B&G for their 40 hours of film video ignored the theme and then they just um, made like a video showing everything wrong with the hall as Perfect. like a counter yeah. argument to why the tariff should go up. And my favourite thing was like none of the washing machines worked. <laughs> like they went through the whole whole hole and it was like one that worked. Um, I don't know what it is with annual washing machines. We have the same problem at Yaki. <laughs> we j- our new washing machines just came. They mm-hmm. just got through Gossams. They just came. And now there's a room in, in, in my building, the laundry, 10 washing machines, all with laminated sides on them saying, these do not work. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean, right? Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Anyway, okay. Um, the other thing we had was that BNO tickets were released this week. That's another one for all of you who live on campus, although I'm sure there will be an off-campus contingent as well. Um and yeah, aside from that, I don't, I'm not really sure. I don't think, I know we were talking about there was some housing um, affordability forums a couple of weeks ago, but I don't believe they're on this week. One thing I did see um, that we are actually writing an article on right now is that the ANU Food Co-op is really struggling to make ends meet at the moment. If you're not aware, the ANU Food Co-op is it's kind of near the uni lodge buildings and it provides like... I think it used to be $8 meals. I might be wrong. It might be a bit more expensive now. But really cheap food options for ANU students and you get a student price. Um, And they also partner with Anusa for the food voucher program, right? So if you access food vouchers or Anusa, you can get food vouchers for the food co-op. And in general, just like kind of 
a really nice organisation, I would say, that, you know, has students' needs in mind. Um, so they are currently crowdfunding on Instagram, I believe. They've gotten quite a bit of traction, so that's good. But if you have the chance to get a meal on campus, I would really recommend going there. They have really good chickpea curry. Um, nice. We've also worked with them before to do – ooh, new edition of Roni, speaking of. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> to do mag launches um, for our – we have little parties for when our magazines come out, which everyone is invited to because you're all members of the ANU student media organisation. So I have two more plugs. If I have time, I do. Based on that, we have a new edition of Waroni out. It's called Forces of Power. It's an exciting one. And this is the first one where we've done news articles um, tailored to the theme of the edition. So that is quite exciting. Um, would recommend that you go check that one out. Um, so we have an article on New South Wales election analysis. We have an article on George Brandis, which is quite exciting. Um, that was a freedom of information request I found, so I was quite proud of that. It's an interesting um, one. Very interesting. And then we have a look into ANU's history of student activism, which is quite an interesting one. Um, there's also some great uh, content pieces, so creative pieces, some great art in the mag as well. Um, so go check it out, team, and it will be on Magazine Stands Near You today, I believe. Um, and we also do distribute the edition to residential halls. So if your residential hall has hornets in it and you want to go outside and read something... Um, Pick it up. <laughs> I would recommend picking it up. Um, what was the final thing I wanted to say? I can't remember. There was oh, book. we have an AGM. Oh, yes. Apparently, we are the ANU Student Media Organization. You guys are all members, every single ANU student. Um, I believe it's 28th of April. It was we a all, double email. We got a double email. I think the actual correct date is 28th of April. I would recommend coming. It's always a lot of fun. We usually have pizza. Um, I don't really know what we do in them. Pass motions. Eat pizza. Have a chat. Eat pizza. Have a chat. Come meet people from Moroni. As always, um, you can contribute at any time to any edition, online, in print. Um, just by sending stuff into us. Also, with news, you can send us news tips at any time. Um, we're happy to follow up whatever news article you would like us to write. Very exciting. Um, but yeah, that's about all I had for today. Any concluding remarks, Sam? Um, oh, it's my first time on the oh. radio. I've enjoyed it. It's good. Congratulations. We'll be back at some point, hopefully. But yeah. Um, hopefully, indeed. It's been good. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, and yeah, that's it from the Warrenie News team this week. We'll be back at the same time next week. Um, and as of recently, you can now check us out on Spotify. We record these oh. episodes now. Yep. <laughs> um, it's called Warrenie News Podcast, and the artist artist is the Warrenie News team. Um, but I'm sure we'll be chucking that somewhere on Instagram. But see how many monthly listeners we can get. Indeed. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.